Amen and amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, first book of the New Testament, Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 13, looking at just a few verses today. Excited to continue this series called Seek. I do want to mention to you, uh, we always try to mention this in, in both services, we are going to celebrate baptism in the second service. We have uh, Miss Kyrie going to be baptized. She is one of our students and uh, Aaron and Jordan Camfield are doing a great job with her and we're just uh, excited she's actually serving right now back in the kids ministry uh, but we're going to get to baptize her in the next service we're real excited about that so we always just like sharing that so you know that God is at work and, and there are good things happening people are coming to know Christ uh, and she's going to be headed off to youth camp with the rest of them so what a what a great way to start an awesome week amen all right well some of you weren't so sure but that's fine uh so I love playing hide-and-go-seek with my kids, especially my younger boys, because they're toddlers, and, and I don't know if you've ever played hide-and-go-seek with a toddler, but it's a lot of fun because they're bad at it. Like, they're, they're not good. And the reason they're not good at it is because they don't really understand kind of like, you know, physics and stuff yet. So uh, they will like, you know, cover their face. And if they can't see you, they assume that you can't see them, right? So they're hiding and you go into a room and they've just got like, like covers pulled over their head and they're standing there and they're like, come find me. And you're like, dude, you're right there. Like, it's not even a challenge. But there are times where, where they're so little that they can find themselves hidden in some pretty precarious spots that uh, a man of size such as myself has trouble finding them. But here's the wild thing about it. After about, I don't know, three seconds, you start to hear laughter and you hear, I'm right here or here I am dad like I, I'm not and and I love that they're not hard to find and I got to tell you as a dad it makes me really really happy that they want to be found and, and for them they don't really see it as a giving up it's actually kind of their joy to surrender and I use that because that's what I want us to talk about today, joyful surrender. We're going to see today in these two parables that seeking Jesus means living a life of joyful surrender. Seeking Jesus means living a life of joyful surrender. Now those two words, joyful and surrender, almost sound like they don't go together, right? Like joyful surrender seems to be a little bit at odds with each other. These two words seem like they do not go beside each other. It's almost a contradiction of sorts. In our culture where winning is everything, right? Like it's all about winning and doing everything that we can do to be at the top and to be at our best all the time. The idea of surrender carries negative connotations that none of us really want in our lives. So what we tend to do is make these words mutually exclusive. And I, I think that's even happened within the church world. There are some churches that you would attend today that would even just blatantly tell you, we are all about joy here. We're not going to talk about like, you know, sin and that kind of awkward stuff that brings the party down. We want to be a joyful place. We're going to talk about love and happiness and all those good things. That's what we're going to be about. We're a church that's all about joy. And then have you ever been to a church that maybe is on the other end of that? That like, hey, surrender, baby. That's what we're about. Get in line. Like the Bible has a lot of commands. Like we need to start doing these things. So it's time to start doing it. And you don't even a lot of times find any joy to be found at all in those places. And if we're honest, don't you find yourselves at times going back and forth between the two? Personally, 
Like there are seasons where you're like, man, like I, I'm, I'm just want the joy. I'm going to just pursue joy. This is what it's about. And I'm remembering the gospel and all this. But then there are times where it seems like we slide back towards, man, I'm not where I should be. So I'm getting real serious. But here's what I want to tell you. While our culture and even the church, I think, has made these words contradictory, I don't think that they really are. In fact, I believe that true joy is found through surrender. We're, we're really good at making things either or, aren't we, in our culture today? What I want you to understand this morning is that Jesus is not making joy and surrender an either or proposition. Instead, it's a both and invitation that we find here in the scriptures. The call today is for us to be a people who joyfully surrender to Jesus. And when we do that, our lives will change in incredible ways. So with all of this said, let's look at the text, Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 44. The word of the Lord says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's pray together. Lord, in these two simple parables, I pray that you would help us see truth that would allow us to be a people who seek you. Lord, that we would be a people of joyful surrender, living uh, in the joy that comes from giving everything we are to you so that we can find the treasure. Would you show us what that looks like today? Would you instruct us and help us understand what it is you're teaching us here in this text? We thank you for what you're going to do, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, these are two of the shortest and even in some ways most simple parables that Jesus teaches, aren't they? In fact, uh, some of the, the you know, most famous popular preachers out there, oftentimes when I'm looking at a text and thinking, okay, where, where's the Lord leading us? There are some, some go-to guys that I'll say, well, how did they handle this text? Well, some of them that, that you would know and listen to, they just haven't because this seems so simple. How are you going to do a 40-minute sermon on this? They, they would allude to these verses often and reference them, but, but it seems so clear, doesn't it? It seems so simple, yet I would just say to you that though this seems very simple, these may be some of the most profoundly difficult verses and parables to actually enact in our lives. I'm very convicted when I read these. And I don't know if you are, maybe by the time we're done with this message, you will be. We have here two simple parables about finding something infinitely valuable, something so infinitely valuable that you are willing to go and sell everything else you have and do whatever it takes to get it. Jesus is speaking here in what we know as parables. You've maybe heard this language that's been used to describe parables as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus is teaching in parables. And I think when we get to this section in Matthew 13, you almost just kind of see parable, 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 parable. And it almost just feels like Jesus is just rapid firing story after story after story. But, and they may, perhaps they're not even connected. He's just telling stories. It's kind of like hanging out with your grandparents, right? Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, some of y'all, it's too close to home. <laughs> sorry, pastor. Uh, so, founding pastor up here. Got some stories, y'all. It's got some stories about y'all, too, so be careful. Be careful, all right? Everybody. So here's the thing 
Jesus is not just telling random stories that aren't connected. Jesus doesn't do that. Like, Jesus isn't like us, right? Uh, if, if Jesus was, if I, you know, obviously, if I was telling stories, you could be like, wow, Rusty's all over the place today. Not so with the Son of God. There is a reason he is telling these stories when and where he tells these stories. So it would be wise of us to kind of zoom out a bit and see where these parables come in. Why is Jesus telling these stories now, and what do they mean in context of Matthew chapter 13? And what we find when you look before what we just read and after what we just read are, are two parables that scholars would refer to as sorting parables. And here's why they're called sorting parables. The moral of both of those parables is essentially this. At the end of the day, God will find out who's really with him and who's not. The first parable is the parable of the weeds. It says a farmer uh, sowed seed and then someone came behind them and put a bunch of junk seed in there and some weeds. So they say, what are we going to do? And, and the story ends with saying, well, just let it all grow together and we'll sort it out in the end. And then the parable immediately afterward is the parable of the net, which a bunch of fish are gathered into a net. And at the end of the day, the fisherman sorts out the good fish from the bad fish. The, the message is pretty clear on those parables as well, isn't it? That the Lord knows our hearts and the Lord knows who is really in his kingdom and who is not. Now, can you imagine hearing these stories as Jesus is teaching? Like that's almost in the surrender camp, isn't it? <laughs> right? You don't hear those parables a lot in the joy churches, right? This is a popular one of the surrender ones. Like, are you really in or not? Imagine the conviction that they would feel. They'd be asking good questions, by the way. A good question would be like, which kind of seed am I? Am I the wheat or the chaff? Am I a good fish or a bad fish? Like, am I in the kingdom of heaven or not? So it's in sandwich between these two parables, we have the two parables I just read to you. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this. Now when it says the kingdom of heaven, here's what we need to understand that to mean. That is talking about salvation, belonging to the Lord, walking with him, being a part of his kingdom. And he says, here's what the kingdom of is like. So if you're questioning today, if you read those sorting parables and you go, I don't know then here's how you can know according to these two parables. Jesus is going to cut through our questions and he gets to the heart of the matter. And in these two parables, uh, we have really two simple stories. The first one, there's a treasure in a field. Now, somebody stumbles upon this treasure, meaning that it was there already, and they find it. And when they find it, they cover it back up and they go and buy that field. And apparently they had the mineral rights too, but uh, sorry, we're getting a little uh, farming jokes there. But they come back and they're like, we're going to buy this place. And he sells everything he has so that he can get that field so that he can have the treasure. And then the second parable, you've got a, a pearl merchant, maybe someone in the business of gathering and selling pearls, and he finds one day the perfect, the pearl of great price, you've heard it referred to as, one that makes all of the other pearls look ridiculous. So he sells all of those so he can get that one pearl. It's a simple application, but I think it's worth stopping down to remember this morning church you need to know and understand that jesus is the treasure jesus is the treasure jesus is the pearl of great price 
specifically knowing Jesus. Not just knowing about Him, but knowing Him, being saved, being part of the kingdom of heaven because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, surrendering to Him so that you can have life. Knowing Him is the treasure. And I know this is obvious, but here's how we, why we need to just stop and recognize this for a second, because not everyone in our world today recognizes the treasure. Don't you see that? You know that anecdotally in your own life. But we also see this in the text. Somebody left that treasure in the field. Right? Like that, that's something that I don't think we often think about, but how to get there? Somebody left it there. Somebody forgot the treasure. Somebody ignored the treasure to the point that somebody else was able to obtain it. This pearl, assuming, sat on a shelf. Other people saw it, but nobody else was so interested that they did what it took to get it. So the question that I need to ask you today and that you need to wrestle with in your spirit today and let the Lord do work in answering this question is, is simple yet profound. Is Jesus your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? The scary reality of these surrounding parables we talked about is that there are some people who would say yes to that question, but there's going to come a day where they're going to stand before the Lord and realize that He wasn't their treasure. Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Some will say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. There are some who think they know the Lord, but the reality is they don't. They may know a lot about Jesus. You may know a lot about Jesus. You may know the stats, the figures, the theology, the details. You may know it all, but not really know Jesus. And even if you know Jesus, you may not really be treasuring him. Maybe you've never sold out to buy the treasure. And these texts make it abundantly clear. And I know this gets uncomfortable to talk about, but that's why we need to talk about it. One day we will be exposed. Our hearts will be laid bare. And the question on that day will be, is Jesus your treasure? Is he your treasure? So you might naturally think, well, well how can we know? <laughs> If this seems really important, Pastor, I need to know, how can I know that I know that Jesus is my treasure? Well, according to this text, those who find the treasure and truly love this treasure are willing to sell everything to get it. So I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about complete surrender. Complete surrender. This simply means that we're all in. That, that my life is, is done seeking just what I want. I'm done seeking the world. I'm done seeking me. And instead, my life is now completely surrendered to Jesus. This is what it means to follow Him and know Him, is to be completely surrendered, to sell out so that we can obtain the treasure. Does that describe your story today, friends? Is that your salvation experience? I, I pray that it is. Because that's what a genuine salvation experience looks like. There's a great danger in the American church that I would just simply call this morning half-hearted surrender. Half-hearted surrender. People think that saying a, a prayer and walking down an aisle or trying to be a moral and good person 
means that you treasure Jesus. But I want to ask you, have you ever completely surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you had that moment? Have you truly died to yourself? This is what, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. This is what the Bible calls salvation. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 that if, you, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has died and the new has come. Have you ever had a moment where you died to yourself? That's what it looks like to sell out for the treasure. If you haven't had that moment, brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, you may not be my brother and sister. You may not know the Lord. Say, well, Rusty, that sounds pretty radical. Yeah, following Jesus is radical. Christianity is not just some little add-on to your life. The call to follow Christ is a call to come and die. It is a call to radical discipleship, to surrender everything that we are to get the treasure. Have you had that moment, friends? He doesn't call us to half-hearted surrender. He wants it all. He wants it all. Romans 12.1 is a verse we talk about often. You know it's one of my favorite verses because I talk about it so often. I think it's just so essential to the Christian life. After describing the gospel in great detail in verse chapters 1 through 11 of Romans, I mean, down to the nuts and bolts and the theological, uh, it's just incredible. But after fully explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says it this way, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, because of the gospel, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your reasonable act of worship. That word reasonable, your Bible may say spiritual. It's the Greek word lagine, which is the word we get logic from. So Paul says, when you think about the gospel... When you think about the reality that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and then rose from the grave to defeat sin and death so that you could become a new creation, when you think about the gospel, the only logical response, the only reasonable response you can make in your life is to put your life on the altar and to become a living sacrifice to God. It's the only thing we can do. Have you had that moment, friends? Is your life on the altar today? Are you completely surrendered? Maybe you've never gotten on the altar. Maybe this morning you're recognizing that as we talk about it and you say, man, I don't know that I've ever completely surrendered. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus invites you today to be saved. Man, some of you know the gospel, but you've never responded to the gospel. But today can be the day of salvation. I got water in the baptistry right now. Let's do it. If you know Christ and know about Christ and know the gospel today, you can know him in a real and personal way. If you repent of your sin and place your faith in him and get on the altar and say, I am all in. My life is yours. Oh, but many of us would say, I've had that moment, Pastor. I know that I'm saved. But like we talked about last week, we just keep going back to the old clothes. <laughs> just keep going back to the grave clothes for some reason. Consistently. The great evangelist of the 1800s, Dwight L. Moody, has said it this way. We've quoted this before. The problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. 
Perhaps you've crawled off the altar today. And the Lord's reminding you of what it means to really follow Him. And to really follow Him means that we are all in. Jesus is inviting us today to surrender everything to get the treasure. Friends, get on the altar today. His plan is better than your plan. We don't need half hearted surrender, half hearted Christians, half hearted living. Be all in today. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you do that, when you completely surrender to the Lord, when you put your life on the altar, you need to understand your life is going to look crazy to the world around you. Your life is going to look crazy to the world around you. You see this in both parables, right? Like these guys doing what they're doing looked ridiculous to the world. Yet they were willing to do whatever it took, regardless of what it looked like to the people around them, to get the treasure. If I were to go home this week one night and tell Mallory, listen, I need you to understand, today I was out shopping and I found the perfect fishing shirt. You, you got to understand, it, this, this was just incredible. It, it made my Columbia shirts look like Magellan shirts. It made my Magellan shirts look like the real tree ones that I got at Walmart for real cheap. It looked made my, it, listen, the fabric, it just was made of the most luxurious and incredible. I don't know enough about fabric to keep this illustration going, but you know what I'm saying. It, it is the most valuable and the best fishing shirt I have ever seen in my entire life. So here's the game plan, sweetie. We're selling everything. Everything goes on Facebook Marketplace tonight. We're getting a realtor. We're selling this house. We may even have to sell a couple kids, but I am getting this shirt. And we have a conversation like, which ones? I don't know. Like, you know <laughs> straighten up, guys. You got to be careful. Obviously, that is ludicrous. She, she would leave me and take the kids before I sold them. Y'all would fire me, and all of that would be rightfully so, and the world would say, you are absolutely out of your mind. Can I tell you that these folks must have looked almost as insane as that? We're selling it all so I can get that field. That old thing? Oh, oh you're, I've been in the pearl business for years, but I found this one, so I'm getting rid of all of them to get this one. Really? But they knew that this field wasn't just a field. This pearl wasn't just another pearl. What seemed crazy and dumb to the world, they both knew was going to make them rich beyond anyone's wildest dreams. If you sell out to find the treasure, brothers and sisters, your life is going to look strange to the world around you. This is perhaps what burdens me when I look at my life and the, the lives of many in the American church today, I, I think we've kind of settled for like a cheap, off-brand Jesus. Right? Like we're, we're not doing Fruity Pebbles, we're doing Fruity Dino Bites, right? It's cheaper and you can get it in the big bag. I mean, I ain't, 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 I'm not hating on Fruity Dino Bites, so they're a, they're a sponsor of our church, so I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We don't have corporate sponsors yet so but we've settled for a cheap Jesus that by the way is not Jesus 
that we just kind of add on to our lives. Oh, no, 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 you don't have to surrender everything. Just try, try to be a good person. Just be a better dad. Be a good family person. Tithe. Show up. Try to be good. Jesus, Jesus, he, this Jesus is with you all the time. Isn't that great? Everything's happy, everything's good, but at the end of the day, you've never truly surrendered. Friends, Jesus is not an accessory. He is the treasure. And if he is your treasure, you should sell everything to obtain the treasure. That means that everything in your life is surrendered to King Jesus, not King you. King Jesus runs every single area of your life. Your family, your work, your hobbies, your finances. King Jesus rules and reigns over everything in this world, including you. That's what it means to be completely surrendered to Him. So who's running your life today? King Jesus or King you? When's the last time you asked the Lord how you needed to spend your money? When's the last time you asked the Lord about a big family decision? When's the last time you consulted the Lord with a relationship you were struggling with? We got a lot of kings and queens in here trying to run their lives. Can I just be real with you? You ain't doing so hot. I know, I knew it was going to get awkward. It's fine. Can I tell you, this is how all kings and queens act when somebody calls out their authority. We don't like insurrections because we want to stay on the throne. But friends, you can stay on the throne until you die and go to hell. So I love you enough to be the idiot to run into the throne room and say, quit it. Quit it. Surrender to King Jesus. sell everything completely surrendered no matter what the world says jesus is the treasure have you surrendered to jesus today oh i pray that you have all right can everyone take a breath for a second because y'all are just killing me today all right and i'm praying that that's just the spirit convicting and doing his work and i get that i know that i feel that too but I want to tell you something that I think you need to hear is equally important as the hard stuff we've already talked about. You need to hear this today. It matters how you surrender. It matters how you surrender. Because if you're like me, you hear this. Some of you right now are like, he's right. I'm going to insurrect myself. I'm done. I'm getting off the throne. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to make this happen. You know, I've thought about this lately, and he's right. Uh, the, the Bible says this, so I'm going to surrender today. I call this self-surrender. By your own willpower and your own strength, you are going to surrender today. But here's what I need to tell you. You will not be able to get you off the throne of your own heart. Oh, listen, your flesh is way too powerful for you to beat it on your own. The devil loves self-surrender, right? 
Like Satan, Satan so far, like he's, some, some of you, the Holy Spirit's been working on you, and I appreciate that, but some of you, the enemy's been like, he's right, he's right, you better surrender, bro. He's talking about you. Oh, but can the Spirit of God just come in here and have a little room? The only way you're going to be able to surrender is to get yourself out of the way. Self-surrender always leads, even if, you're, even if somehow you pull it off, Self-surrender leads to empty religion. And empty religion is exhausting because you're just trying to keep up appearances and make sure that you look like everything's good in your life. I've just described probably the majority of the American church today, by the way, including us. Just keep it all together. Make sure everything looks good and that I'm being good and I'm doing good. And that way when pastor preaches hard messages like this, I can think about other people who need to apply it to their lives. Let's just keep it all together. But at the end of the day, that's empty religion. And it's exhausting. It's wearying. I want to invite you today to stop trying. Yeah, some of you you are back. You've been gone this whole message. You're like, I like this. (laughs) Stop trying and instead start dying. Here's the wild thing, friends. The only way to surrender today is to surrender to Jesus. (laughs) You trying to surrender to rules and religion, not going to help you. You trying to surrender to being a better person, not going to help you. Until you surrender to Jesus, you will not be able to be surrendered. Oh, but here's the good news of the gospel, friends. When you find the treasure, when you know Jesus Complete surrender then becomes joyful surrender. We see this in the text. Verse 45, the three little words that I think are so crucial and so important that you miss if you're not careful. Look at it again. It's actually in verse 44, sorry. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything. In his joy. So he finds the treasure, and it doesn't say that he's like, man, there it is. I got to get rid of everything now so I can get this field. I mean, this is just what I have to do, okay? Because this is the right thing to do is get this field. So I'm going to go and do what I got to do to get this field because that's what my grandpa and my mom and my church has told me I need to do is I need to get this field. So I guess I'm going to go put my house on the market and figure out what I got to do to get this field. That's what too many of our Christian lives look like, if we were honest. You never verbalize that, and if you do, you know, obviously you got some struggles. But I do think a lot of your lives look like that from an outward observance. I know mine does. What did the text say? No, he found the treasure, and in his joy, he says, I got to get rid of everything for this. I got to get this, and I'm going to do whatever it takes joyfully so I can get this treasure. So when we have found Jesus, when you know Jesus, when you have a real relationship with him, you are willing to sell everything because you know that nothing is better than him. Nothing is better than him. You're, You're done with the substitutes of this world. You don't want accessory Jesus anymore that just tries to level up your life. You want to be done with your life because you have died to yourself and you want to surrender to him because you know that he is the treasure. 
Do you believe this today? Do you live like you believe this today? What would your life look like if you really treasured Jesus above everything? Because, you know, here's the wild thing about this treasure. It can't get taken away. Isn't that crazy to think about? This treasure is a treasure that will never be taken away. Everything in your life could go to Hades in a handbasket, and you could be left with nothing and no one and still have this treasure. If you really believe this, could I tell you what might happen in your life? Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Why? Because you still have the treasure. This is why Paul looked crazy to the world. And here's what's scary to me. Paul looks crazy to us, and we consider him some sort of next-level Christian way beyond us. No, Paul wasn't the exception. This should be our lives. Paul said in Philippians 2, it's like, well, you know, I may die or I may make it, and, you know, if I keep alive, then I guess I'll continue to be able to do this ministry, but really it'd be better for me to die and go be with Jesus. And that perspective shaped his life in a ridiculous way. Romans chapter 8, you remember he said, if God be for us, who can be against us? And he didn't just say that on a good day. Because then he goes on to say, I believe this, that no height nor depth, no disaster, no anything. He goes on and on and on. It's a beautiful passage, verses 31 through 39 in Romans chapter 8. Nothing, he says, I am convinced that nothing shall separate us from the love of God. That's the treasure you've got. What should your life look like if you really have that treasure? Here's how I know that some of us don't live with Jesus as our treasure. Because we are a bunch of beaten down Christians. Can I tell you why you're a beaten down believer? Because of empty religion. You're exhausted, you're weary, you're tired, and you're a beaten down believer because you have bought into the lie that you've got all these other things that you treasure. Can I tell you? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls his first disciples, verses 16 through 20, compelling short story where Jesus just shows up at their workplace. They're on their boats, they're fishermen, and they said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the text, Mark indicates with one little phrase, it says they left their nets and followed him. I was thinking about that this week because, because of this. <laughs> I think a lot of people today have said that they're going to sell out and find the treasure, but the problem with a lot of Christians today is that we're still carrying our nets around with us. How effective would the disciples have been if they took their fishing nets with them? I know some of y'all are fishermen, so I'm not talking about the little dip net. I mean, they had like massive, insane nets. That, imagine them as, as, as ridiculous as that is. I know some of you love the chosen. Let's just insert in the chosen. In every scene, there's a massive fishing net that they're all holding on to. As absurd as that is, can I tell you that spiritually, 
way too many of us are still holding on to the treasures of this world that we think satisfy us. The invitation of this text today is to let go. Do you want to get the treasure? Let go of what you're holding on to. Trust Jesus. Treasure him, and when you treasure him, everything will change in your life. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that joyful surrender is possible. Lord, that we don't have to be a people of beaten down, empty religion. That you didn't save us so that we could be discouraged Christians. You didn't save us so that we could just go through life barely making it. But God, you have called us to a life of joyful surrender that we can open our hands and let go of the things that we're trying to hold on to so that we can experience you in your fullness. So God, I pray that you would just apply this message to our hearts how you need to today. There are probably some people in here who who have never gotten on the altar and today needs to be the day that they surrender their lives to you. God, I pray that you would uh, let today be the day of salvation if there are people here who need to be saved. Yet, Lord, I also know that, that there are brothers and sisters in here who have made that decision, but if they're honest today, they've climbed off the altar. They're still carrying their nets, trying to live their lives and make it happen, yet, Lord, today, you would invite them to drop their nets and follow you so that they could gain the treasure. Oh, Lord, I pray that you, by your grace, would apply this to our hearts today.